Stephen, better known to many as CoffeeZilla on the internet, has been the go-to source for uncovering and understanding online scams and fraudulent personalities. $4 million was stolen from these podcasters, and I decided to investigate. I found the man responsible, but before we confront him, let's go back to where it all started. Early in his career, Stephen made video essays on a variety of topics, but over time, his investigative skills and commitment to exposing frauds have earned him a devout following of millions around the world. He's made a significant impact online, so much so that some consider him to be a key player in uncovering the now infamous FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried scandal. We sat down with CoffeeZilla to discuss his career, the psychology behind committing frauds, his experience with the FTX fiasco, and a lot more. Hope you enjoy the show. First things first, before we even get started on anything, uh, for the, there might be people, people out there that don't know you. So in your own words, could you describe who CoffeeZilla is? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I think invest, uh, investigative journalist, uh, internet detective in the $10 million studio covering scams. That's probably a good description of what I do, who I am. Been doing this for, for a while now and, uh, you know, with yourself, like, is CoffeeZilla and Steven two different characters or have you been able to separate them or is it one and the same for YouTube and, and real life? Yeah, it's probably, I mean, I think it's a piece of my my person. Uh, CoffeeZilla, like, is an aspect of who I am and, you know, what I like to do, what I'm interested in. But as it, time has gone on, maybe it's also taken on its own characteristic and identity because, like, CoffeeZilla doesn't have a family. CoffeeZilla doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, and, you know, I have some IRL friends. I'm not just, like, sitting around in my dungeon all day, although I do do a lot of that. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I I imagine it's like anything. Any Anytime you play, like, you you do something, you exist online as a certain, like, covering certain topics for a while, I think it represents an aspect of who you are um and but not all of it and then maybe it takes on its own identity at some point there there are times where i'll you know we'll be i'll be talking with like my team of like uh, two other guys and we'll, we'll say like oh coffeezilla will do this coffeezilla will do that so maybe that does represent some kind of um you know it's this other thing i don't i don't know good question okay i'm gonna ask you two two questions um so First of all, what do you like to do in your time off? And second of all, what other YouTubers or other YouTube videos or kinds of videos do you like to watch? I don't take a ton of time off. And when I do, I'm usually thinking about the show or something. I'm, I'm a bit obsessed. I, I love what I do. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, uh, I feel very blessed to, to be in this position. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And so when I'm in my time off, I'm usually like watching content that I think will inspire me for the show or I'm thinking about the show or something like that. But um, also in my day-to-day, there are a few things I like to do that like get me away from stuff. I like to like work out. I like to um, uh, play live music. So like I play keys and I'll, you know, go out to like a bar or something, play some, play some, play some live music, you know, whatever, jazz, whatever it may be. Um, Wait, wait, wait. Um, <laughs> Are you saying that you go to bars and just perform? Yeah, like every day. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right, I didn't know about you. 
anything about that. But yeah, that's that's cool. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. I mean, it's not like this, like crazy. It's not like a they're they're dives. To be clear, they're dives. This is not like a nice. This is not a nice place. Uh, but yeah, if you pop into a random bar, you might find me. You know, playing whatever with a few people. Uh, but I don't like to. I never say anything about it normally, and I'll never advertise it because I don't want people to show up. Like for, I just like there's something about an, an anonymous crowd that just appreciates the music that I think is really cool. Do people recognize you? Like, no, that's so fun. It's so such a funny thing. If I put on my glasses and I take off the suspenders, no one recognizes me outside. <laughs> but this, so it's this weird thing. I used to think like the. Uh, like Clark Kent thing was so stupid because he'd put on the thing and nobody recognized him. He'd take it off. They're like super, you know. And um, uh, the the only comparison, by the way, I'm making is the glasses. People don't recognize. It's a really it's a really strange thing. I mean, like, and people will ask, like, because I, I realized something was off when I was talking to a guy with like you know like thirty thousand subs- uh, subscribers. He's like, I get recognized all the time. I can't go anywhere without getting recognized. My grocery store, my, you know, this, I can't leave my house without getting recognized. And I was thinking to myself, I haven't been recognized in like, you know, years. Like, it, like, it's like, it's like a year will go by. I'll get recognized one time. Somebody will be like, are you? No, you couldn't be. And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I actually kind of like it. It's, it's like a cool, uh, kind of nice, but that's, the, you, you've, you've found a cheat hack. It's like you, you can put your face out there, but no one recognizes you in public because you've got the suspenders and the glasses, apparently. <laughs> so that's just the best of both worlds. Keep your privacy, but you're out there. <laughs> the only um, time I was recognized a lot was I went to the SBF trial. And I think because the context fit, I wasn't wearing my suspenders or anything like that. Like everybody recognized me. Everyone's like, oh, are you? And I was like, yeah, but, but it's cause the context makes sense. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is a fraud thing. Um, but yeah, in day-to-day life, it's like, it's cool. Uh, a, a second question I guess was what, um, do I, what do I watch in my free time? Uh, so I actually really like, I've been trying to find some new creators. I, I watch a lot of the people maybe you'd expect, but to give some, some YouTubers that I don't think a lot of people are watching. There's this guy, Bobby Fingers, who recently made this Jeff Bezos rowboat video, which is unbelievable. Um, that's like a, if you, <laughs> it's a wild wreck, but it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's, it's a great video. Then there's a, um, this guy, Pizza Later, who is making these AI-generated commercials. I'm not super into AI generated stuff in general, but he does a super good job and he's really like using the medium. I think every every tool has a medium where it like works in and he makes these really uncanny valley, you know, commercials. I think we'll eventually work together a bit. So, but I really appreciate his stuff. Was that that guy that made that barbecuing pizza yes. commercial or something yes. where they're, yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, I saw that one. That went, he went, he went like kind of viral with that, but still, but he's made a bunch of others. And like, I don't think people have caught on to like how good some of the stuff he's making is. Uh, then there's outside of YouTube, uh, the blue eyed samurai, I think it's called. It's like this new, that's more a mainstream hit. I mean, that is like an incredible piece of animation. I'm just interested in like super high production value, um, or artful or new or something that like hasn't been done, um, something that will inspire me. I mean, I, I do think to, to a lot of 
you know, we're kind of a, a, a sum of our input. So if you want to make a show that's worth watching, you should watch stuff that's worth watching. You shouldn't be like inputting, you know, kind of random garbage that's recycled through a million other people. You want to watch people who are innovating in their own way. And I don't think that just exists on YouTube. I think that exists in a lot of, like I was a huge fan of Arcane when it came out, um, the new Spider-Man, people who are sort of taking uh, the visual medium and like pushing it in a little, you know, different ways. I think that's really inspiring to me. It doesn't have to necessarily be like, you know, investigation related, but it all kind of inspires me. Before we get to the next topic, I just want to introduce you to today's sponsor. In Cold Fusion and through the web, we often cover topics about internet security and personal data. Have you ever Googled yourself and were shocked to see your personal information being exposed for the whole world to see? Data brokers are making a fortune selling your information to robocallers, spammers, and others who want to learn more about you information like where you live. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. Brokers are legally required to remove your info if you ask them to, but they make it super hard to do so. Let Aura handle that for you. Aura also does so much more to protect you and your family from online threats that you can't see. It's easier to set up, so you don't need to download several different apps to get things like parental controls, antivirus, VPN, password management, identity theft insurance and more. You get everything at one affordable price. Let Aura do the hard work of keeping you safe online so you can focus on other tasks with peace of mind. So you have two choices. You can either let people continue to exploit and profit off your private information, or you can go to aura.com slash through the web to start your two week free trial. The link will also be in the description. Stop data brokers from exposing your information. Go to my sponsor, aura.com slash through the web to get a 14 day free trial and see if your personal information has been compromised. Currently only available in the US. Okay, so now back to the podcast. Awesome. Um, look, uh, I think I am one of your OG um, viewers because I remember it used to be called Coffee Break like three, four, five years ago. Uh, I used to do like these breakdowns of company videos uh, like about you know big corporates and then you do like little essays about life and um, these different random topics, you know, it was, it was all over the place in, in, at the start. I remember watching those. But what, what got you kind of started on that video essay journey um, at the start and then slowly turning into, you know, um, what would you do today? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, shout out Coffee Break OGs, by the way. You guys are the real heroes. <laughs> Y'all stuck with me while I was kind of figuring some things out, okay? Um, yeah, so I think the video essay thing was interesting. It was just kind of taking off. And I remember I was taking a walk and I kind of saw an opportunity with it where I realized it knocked two things that I really liked. One, I thought there was an opportunity to do something slightly new because at the time, most of the YouTubers were focusing on film at like video essays. And I thought, you know, this medium doesn't have to be about film. And to a large extent, I think video essays are still focused around film. And I just think it's a missed opportunity because technically it can be about anything. It's just sort of um, augmenting the essay with a visual, you know, something accompanying it. And so I thought, you know, people were kind of limiting themselves to like, I have to analyze film. And I don't think that's true. So I wanted to kind of do something there. But secondarily and equally important, I was just getting started on YouTube uh, or just getting started taking it seriously and I wasn't so comfortable on camera I felt clumsy I felt awkward I felt just sort of like a mess and I felt that what I could bring was not as high quality as what most people could bring on camera as a per, like as a presence 
And so it appealed to me like, you don't have to be on camera. And you can have a really high quality looking video because you can take a bunch of other people's stuff, cut up little bits of it and like transform it through the process of editing. And it requires less work up front. You know, by the way, I think there may be some copyright issues <laughs> with with uh, that approach. But anyway, um, at the time I was like, you know, I'm going to do this. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what got me into it. It was kind of like right place, right time. I I thought it fit like my capabilities at the time. There wasn't a lot of like, you know, skills required other than figuring out how to edit. So that's kind of what I got, why I got into it. I still have a lot of love for the medium, but um, yeah, I'll watch some video essays every now and then. And uh, I think maybe one day I'll come back to Coffee Break. I don't know, we'll see. I know that your background, what you studied was chemical engineering. So how did you make the leap from that side of things onto investigative journalism, so to speak. I'm so glad you didn't ask me an in chemical engineering question. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I forgot everything. Um, uh, how did I make the leap? Um, yeah, you know, it's really strange because it wasn't a linear path at all. It wasn't like I like, and and also it's really strange because investigative journalism, like I really find what I do fits me like a glove. Like I love what I do. I feel like it fits my skill set. It's the right amount of challenging, interesting, um, engaging. So I wish I could tell you like I just knew and my bones, you know, um, but I didn't. And it kind of was like this long process of like trying things, seeing how I resonate with them, seeing how other people resonate with them. There's actually this story I did on a criminology case that was a bit of investigative journalism in Coffee Break before you know I had fully made the switch to um, CoffeeZilla. It was actually my last video on Coffee Break. Is like the closest thing to an investigative journalist piece that I ever did on there, and I enjoyed it so much because there's sort of this feeling when you when you do investigative journal journalism of like I'm presenting new information something you cannot find publicly available online. And that was so interesting to me because it quickly became apparent to me when I was on YouTube. Okay, there's so many other people. They have access to the same tools, mostly, as I do. How can I differentiate myself from a sea of competitors that are equally talented, equally gifted, equally hardworking as I am? Well... The answer is like sort of you have to have some way to bring an original something. So it's an original take, an original style, original. And I felt like, okay, my personality, it's fine. But it, do I have the greatest personality ever? No. Okay, I, you know, I can crack some jokes, but are my jokes the funniest? No. Maybe I can bring some the most original information or at least like some original information nobody else has. So I think – um you know, it was like, I enjoy searching stuff up. I enjoy research. I enjoy sort of like getting to the bottom of a story. But I think it was also out of this like insecurity of how do I bring something new and, and, and investigative journalism just feels really exciting in that way of you're unearthing something that hasn't been previous. It feels valuable in that way too. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll kind of switch gears in here into how you kind of got started with the whole um, scams particularly. Because I know that you were kind of motivated by your mum, who unfortunately was um, diagnosed with cancer and kind of got scammed with some questionable products. So could you tell us a bit about 
that situation and also if you think that scammers tend to just be motivated by money or is there more behind their motivations for doing what they do? Um, sorry, I just smiled when you were saying like, <laughs> I don't want to seem like a sociopath. I smiled when you were talking about my mom. It's only because I still remember, like some of this stuff was so ridiculous. I remember like above our fridge was this um, like sp- you know those big things where they'll spin? I don't know what they call them. Lazy Susan, I think, is what they call them in America. I don't know. Anyway, there's this thing and it spins. And we had so many vitamins and tonics and potions and lotions on that thing. I was just thinking about just how preposterous it all was. Um, I, I, I totally missed your question. It, it was it was like... <laughs> I, I mean... No, okay. Like, so, like, so, 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 <laughs> I think something that engages me with this stuff is like, on the one hand, it's like, really sad it's really predatory and also it's so preposterous it's like so many of these things are absurd um on their face and so yeah i don't know why it's like still like i i haven't gotten over some of this stuff um go ahead what were you saying i didn't want to seem like a psychopath and be like i'm smiling at that i i I had brought up like a funny memory to me of like you know what is what is she going to select today to be the tincture you know um so uh, I guess you answered the first half of the question. I was just kind of asking to describe that situation a bit more. But the second half was the motivations of scammers. Do you think that it's purely money or is there something else going on in their, in their little noggin? Wait, one more tangent. I apologize. I like to, I'm hijacking your show. I thought of one more <laughs> anecdote, which is like, I think going to be funny because my mom still falls for some of this stuff. Like, um, which is weird, which is weird because I'm like, I'm her son. I'm like, mom, you're embarrassing me. Um, you know, you can't be falling for this stuff. She, one day she's like, Hey, I got you this, this, um, hair lotion, you know? And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean hair lotion? Oh, it's like going to prevent you from going bald. I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, my friend got it for me. Like it's a business opportunity. Turns out she had joined an MLM to support her friend, she didn't even think she was going to make money. She's like, I don't even want to make money. I just wanted to join my friend. The only way to join, like, support my friend was to join the MLM so that I could buy the products. And then she convinced me that basically, like, well, what if one day your sons go bald? So I bought this stuff in case one day you're going, like, you know what I mean? And then she, like, reached it. She's like, you could use a little touch-up. <laughs> <laughs> just goes personal straight away. <laughs> uh, anyway, it just, like, made me think of that because I'm like, you know, um, it's weird, man. It's like, I think, I think there is something where the distrust of like pharmaceuticals has really gotten sewn into her. And I think she also believes in these like narratives of, um, you know, oh, some random guy on the internet figured it all out and he's gonna, you know, save the world with their little thing they want to sell you. Um, anyway, anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. What, what was the question again? I swear this time. <laughs> I'm going to answer okay, this, okay. the question. No, no, time. it was mainly, mainly about the motivations of the scammers. If you think that it's it's mainly just money or is there something else going on? It's money. Just money. You, you think you think that it's just money and they're pure? Usually, I mean, I mean, look, there's like a twist uh, on everybody, right? So, you know, some people have, some people think, some people believe in what they're doing. I don't want to say like, I don't want to be so cynical to say nobody believes in the, 
the product they're selling. I think they often overstate how effective it is, but sometimes people think like, okay, yeah, vitamin D is like actually valuable to take, right? So sure, I'm gonna overhype it, but it's good that people are taking it anyways, and I'm just sort of branding it in a way that's sensational so that people will like take their leafy greens and whatever. And if I make some money on the side, that's like fine. I think that would be like the justification of some people, Uh, but mostly it's money, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, um, I think one thing I th- I want to show in the show is like how much money is out there for these people, not in a way to glorify, but actually to a way to call attention to the problem. Like, hey, you might think this is silly, you might think this is goofy, but the reason there's so much of it is because the financial gains of some of these people is absurd. Like, it is. They will make your lifetime salary sometimes in a year. It's ridiculous. Like they'll make like two million, five million dollars in a single year, ten million, selling these ridiculous um, courses, scams, tinctures, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit here as well. I mean, again, as I mentioned, I've been following you for for a while now, and I'd say over the last year or so, you've kind of almost reached a a newer level of of popularity, fame, whatever you want, you want to call it. When you're on Lex Friedman, on Joe Rogan, uh, you're on uh, you know Rolling Stone, and g- getting covered on a more mainstream kind of sphere than than ever before, right? Um, do you think it was more of a compounding effect of your career so far, or do you think it was one or two particular investigative journalism cases that you have done that led you to getting you know more uh, of an attention on those on those angles? A great question. I, I don't really know the answer. My answer will change like on the day you ask me because I don't really know. I, I usually come down to like it was luck because sometimes I ask myself that. I'm like, how did this happen? Um, it's really weird. I think it. I think it was. I was doing some, I was in the right place at the right time covering the right stories. And then some events happened in the macro like markets that made scams sort of a hot topic of conversation with the FTX collapse, economic like troubles. So I think it was that. I don't really um, take a lot of credit for it. The funny thing about the Lex Friedman thing was I had watched his show. I didn't really know how big it was. And I was telling my friend, I was like, we were in the car just going somewhere. And I knew he was a big fan of Lex Friedman. And so I was like, yeah, actually the guy reached out to me. He's like, no way. And he's like, I was like, yeah, I think he wants me to do his podcast or something. And he goes, oh, that's crazy. When are you doing it? And I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna, I, I, think, I think I'm just gonna like, you know, whatever. And uh, cause I'm not, I mean, I don't do a lot of podcasts. I'm doing I'm doing y- y'all's thing because I like your channel, but but in general, I'm I'm very hesitant to to do a bunch of other stuff, and I'm just like I like doing my thing, whatever. I I don't need all the attention, so I was just kind of like whatever. And he convinced me. He's like, no, 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 you have to go, you have to go on. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, dude, yeah, this is like kind of a big deal. It's a big opportunity. And I go, all right. And so <laughs> anyway. I went on and that kind of led to some some of the other stuff. Uh, the Rolling Stone one, I think, was more because I knew my grandparents would know what that was. And like, you know, <laughs> maybe it's, I don't know, we're always trying to show our parents like that, like we're not like total uh, bums. <laughs> uh, when I did chemical, so context for my family, 
my grandpa's a chemical engineer, my uncle's a chemical engineer. I was going to be the uh, and, and in general, my family's like, look, you're a doctor, engineer, lawyer, um, and so my family, I was going to be the one. Um, chemical engineer, my family, everyone else was doing something engineer related, but I was like the guy passing that, like getting passed down that lineage of he's a chemical engineer, he's a chemical engineer, this is a chemical engineer, right? And I, right after my graduation, I called my grandparents to tell them I'm not doing anything. Like I had to finally let out the secret. I knew for years, like almost my entire entire engineering degree, I knew I wasn't going to do it. I was like, I hate this. I'm miserable. I don't want to be a part of this. Um, but I hadn't told them because I was like, they're going to be so ashamed of me. They're like Cuban immigrants. Um, they work super, you know, so <sighs> I called them and like you could hear silence on the <laughs> They were not. They're like, what? you YouTube? Like, what are you making right now with YouTube? I was like, nothing. And they're like, well, well are they going to pay you? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was a so. So, you know, this whole time I've been trying to, you know, and kind of the same with my parents, you know, tell them like, okay, you know, I'm okay now. Um, so I knew that would kind of maybe get through to them. Um, but, and even my mom, I, I told my mom, I was like, hey, mom, like, you know, and she kind of gets it. But I was like, I was kind of, I was kind of like trying to tell her and I was, I was kind of, kind of proud of it. I was like, mom, I... I went on Joe Rogan and she, like, that's kind of a big deal. She goes, Oh, Joe Rogan, Joe, Joe Rogan. And then she goes, she goes, I get you. She goes, that's the weatherman. Why are you going? I was like, no, he runs a podcast. And she goes, Oh, I think I, those podcasts are what? Sure. Podcast. And I'm like, mom, it's a big podcast. She's like, Okay. I just realized like, no, she doesn't. she's like, not at all. Not at all interested. So anyway, I went on the weatherman. Um, <laughs> this is like the challenge of trying to like impress your parents. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, so. I mean, even though we haven't been on Joe Rogan, obviously, but uh, I think that idea of trying to always impress our, our parents, because, yeah. you know, you're I, I, chemical engineers. No, mechanical. mechanical. So I got a, a little bit of a similar situation. So yeah, I was a mechanical engineer. I did architecture. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's all, all, we're all kind of, you know, leaving that, that path and then joining <laughs> yeah. here. So. It's, I don't know if it's even impressed. It's like, I want my parents just to know I'm okay. I don't want them to worry about, that, that's really what it is. It's like, I just know that, especially, you know, at the start of it, they were worried and they just don't know what this world is. So um, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm fine. You know, whatever. I went on the weatherman. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, totally I love that. I don't reckon the weatherman. <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, but in general, like, I don't know. Um, I think I'd, I don't think that I, I kind of disagree with the mainstream thing. And also, uh, I don't think going mainstream is like that good. I think I want to get to like, I want the to tuck right below, you know, like I want to be like an F list. Like I want to be the guy like, have I heard of you? Nah, you know, that's that's the perfect place to be. Actually, you don't have any problems with like privacy i mean i do have problems with privacy for different reasons but you don't have any problems with like like people bothering you at dinner um or or coming up to you randomly like when you're trying to hang out with like friends you have enough to support your like su support yourself but you don't have like i don't know i just think 
You just have, I think people get greedy to like, I want all the, you know, all the opportunity, all the uh, fame, the attention, the blah, blah, blah. And I think like, no, actually there's a real sweet spot to it. And um, yeah, I'm actually like, after after I did uh, that the the last one, I told my wife I was like, all right, we're done with these for a while because I want to like actually very intentionally kind of pull back. Um, it was cool to take the opportunities when they came up because I was like, they're probably these guys are never calling again, right? Like uh, it was a lucky time, but um, but after that, I was like, all right, I'm gonna just like purposely kind of fade back a little bit because I think um, I enjoyed it a little bit better. Um. Interesting insights, like uh, the fact that you, you, you'd want to be tucked as an F celebrity, you say. Like, I think it, it makes sense, but a lot of people don't see that other side of fame, I guess. It's kind of like they, they see someone who's famous, they, they're like, I want that, but then they don't see what comes with that sometimes. So kind of interesting. Totally overrated. I think it's like the biggest kept secret. Like everyone pretends like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. No, it's not. Talk to some of these people. They're miserable. They're miserable. They're always on a treadmill. They're always so busy like they have no time for anybody they don't have like a good family life i mean these people are not happy people um and so you have to kind of reverse engineer it at some point i i'm sorry i'm gonna take another tangent uh i distinctly remember i recently took a trip uh to kind of decompress with my wife and a couple friends um and i read two books while i was uh on vacation i read the Arnold Schwarzenegger biography and uh, the uh, Jackie Chan biography. And, you know, here's two very successful men in very different ways, but they're both like kind of in the Hollywood industry. And at the time I was really trying to figure out, you know, it was very close to a lot of these appearances. And I was trying to figure out like, how do you navigate this world of, you know, kind of, you get sent so many opportunities all at once. You can't take them all. What do you do? Like, you know, so, I was kind of trying to look for these books for insight and you know, they're very impressive people, you know, et cetera. Um, both of them sort of have kind of, I don't want to like sound bad, but both of them didn't see their family a lot. They're traveling all the time, you know, and you get the sense reading the book, like they're meaning to hype up their life, right? Like this is supposed to make them look good. And I came across thinking, oh, you kind of failed at one of the main things that I personally value. Like I personally like value trying to keep family close. High, like they were like obsessed with like, I got to make another movie. And I was just thinking to myself reading the book, like why? You made so many movies. You've made so much money. What is the point of it all if you haven't like, is that it? Like that's all you're doing? So anyway, my takeaway from these books is actually, oh, this is actually a mistake. This is a pitfall people make when they get super popular, or it's just a value system, I guess. It's just a different value system than I have. And they cho they chose this, and I was like, very deliberately, I don't, I wanna choose this other, this other thing. And so I think that goes into my personal answer about it. Um, I think other people will disagree, and other people have different you know things they want. But um, for me, that's sort of my thoughts. Cool, fair enough. Okay, I wanna ask an interesting question here. Um, in any of the exposés that you do, do you ever get scared, um, you know, of some repercussions or legal threats? I know you'd, you'd be probably pretty confident that you have a good legal case, but just in the back of your mind, in the recesses, do you have any any fears or something like that? Um, yeah, I mean, look, within the, this industry, it's a, 
like you said, there's some risk associated. I, for a while, I kind of lost sleep over this. Not really the lawsuit stuff, but sort of the, you know, personal threats kind of stuff that comes up every now and then. Eventually, I kind of learned that I kind of came to the idea, like, if I'm going to do this, I either accept the risk or I don't. And if I do accept the risk, thinking about it all the time is a complete failure. Uh, Like, I I actually haven't accepted the risk if I'm thinking about it all the time. Uh, You know, if you want to be an effective driver, like, like to, to bring this to a very physical place, an analogy would be like these F1 drivers, right? You cannot be an effective F1 driver if you're constantly worried about the real risk of crashing, right? The risk is real, but to effectively do your job, you have to accept the risk and put it aside. That is how this, any industry works actually. Every, like if you're a pilot, you have to accept the risk, you may crash, but then you have to just do your job anyways. So it's no different from that. It's just a more abstract kind of risk. It's like a financial risk. It's a, and then in some ways it's a physical risk, but, but like, that's kind of the thing. And I, so I realized like, okay, the day that I find this risk to be too much, I'll just stop. And I, I need to stop uh, because then I won't be able to do my job properly if you're kind of like constantly concerned about that. So I accept the answer. I accepted it a while ago. It, it was something that I thought about. I don't think about it very often now. So, so in that case, what, what, what's an innate um, thing that drives you to, to still keep going at these, at these, um, at these kind of um, exposes and scam um, uncovering? It's fun. It's fun. It's meaningful to me. I find a lot of value in like telling victim stories. I think it's, um, I don't know. I love it. I, I, I love it. And if I didn't love it, I wouldn't be doing it. That's the perfect answer. That, that's, that's what I want to hear. Um, a lot of the scams that you, you know, did uncover and, and, and the, uh, you know, expose that you've done have recently been you know, involved in the world of crypto, right? And, and I guess the question that I want to ask you, um, do you think crypto has any value to society at all? Um, having uncovered so many of, of the scams around, around that world? Uh, hmm. That's interesting. I think cryptos... Uh, I think... I'll answer it a different way. I think for crypto to get to a place where it could be broadly accepted, it would have to change in ways that fundamentally make it different and would betray some of its biggest supporters like favorite things about crypto what do i mean by that the reason so many scams exist the reason that crime loves crypto is because of the sort of permissionless decentralized nature uh allows for you know, I'm a criminal and I want to launder my money. I can freely do it. I don't have to ask any questions. And spe- and more importantly, no one will ask me any questions about this money, where it's going, right? Um, this is very different from banking where there's anti-money laundering laws. And even though there are sketchy banks, they're constantly, you know, it's difficult to launder money in the traditional finance system. So in order for... Um, crypto to sort of be more widely accepted, scams would have to go down and crime would have to go down. The way that happens is a a rewrite of that to pull crypto into regulation. But the only way you regulate crypto is if somehow you can change the fact that it's decentralized and permissionless because you have to somehow get around this like, okay, you have to stop money laundering, like so much of it, right? There's always gonna be money laundering, but you gotta make it harder. Um, You've gotta stop like, 
like easy scams. The way you do that is like way more KYC. But how do you do that when everything anyone can send anything to anyone? Um, so I don't know if they're going to be able to solve those issues, which is why I'm like hesitant to answer your question. And I don't know if they do solve those issues, if it won't just be like the financial system, but just uh, uh, different. I mean, but it, like, how would it add value if it's not now decentralized? So that's why I kind of go back and forth on it. But what I do know is in order for like mainstream institutions to accept this, I think you have to confront the real problem of the main um, ethos of crypto is, hey, we're just kind of like going to not accept the authority of governments, banks, any kind of like regulators, combine that with the fact you need regulators to make it legit. And so these things are like sort of incompatible. Maybe you could find a way to uh, change it. I don't know. I think that is a problem for the people who are trying to build in crypto legitimately in the next 10 years is like solving that issue in a way that doesn't destroy what crypto is to the people who like it while also bringing it within compliance with the wider financial world, which I think has so far to go. I mean, it's like almost incompatible with crypto as it is now. Have you heard of central bank digital currencies at all? Yeah. Um, yes, I have. Okay. Well, I'm just wondering what your views are. Oh, actually, I, I want to. So speaking of that, which is like, okay, yeah, like a, uh, a central bank would mint their own digital dollar, something like that, right? The, the tricky thing is, is, you know, if you do take away the decentralized permissionless aspect of crypto, what you're left with is a more tracked form yes, of money yes, than yes, before, yes, yes, yeah. which is the whole funny thing about it. It's like, oh, instead of just a bank looking at your transactions, everybody can look at your transactions now and everything is traced. So that is like a funny backfire. You know, you Trojan horse yourself into having, you know, now now the feds can look at you more. Uh, I don't really know. It, it's funny because there's been like a reverse conspiracy saying that, you know, the 2008 Bitcoin white paper was actually a central bank plot the whole way. So, <laughs> so they could proliferate it and then sweep it at the end and do it themselves. But I, I don't know about that. But it's, it's No, no, wild. no. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think those people really believe, in, uh, believe and believed in what, what they said at the time. Uh, they really did want to destroy... And, to be clear, for people who aren't committing crime, there is like this attraction to, you know, decentralized permissionless. It's like, why should I let some random bank decide if I can send you money? It's my money. It's a very compelling argument. The problem is, is that, you know, you need to make a system for everyone. And it's sort of like the 1% spoils it for everyone else, where if you have 1% are committing tons of crime, that actually turns out to be a problem if we just let everyone run permissionless. It's a... Uh, so anyway, I'm open to solutions, but I, so far I haven't seen an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of crypto, there's, there's, a, there's a little guy called Sammy Boy, who you may be familiar with, and he ran a company called FTX. Um, so yeah. you were one of the first people on the case to, to notice red flags about him. So what was it about Sam that kind of set you off and put your antennas in the air? I think you're referencing a video I did on... Um, when he was talking on odd lots about, you know, oh, I put money in a box 
and then people think it's they they think it's worth two hundred million, and then tomorrow they think it's worth three hundred million. I made a hundred million. Sort of. He was describing like like these ridiculous Ponzi schemes, and these ridiculous shell games. Um, but I want to say, look, I, I wasn't the first to, to do it. I I, I uh, have gotten a lot of credit. I think um, some of it is deserved, some of it's undeserved. Uh, but I there have been a, there were a lot of people who sh- saw it before me. Uh, Mark Cahotis. Dirty, dirty bubble media coin desk. I just want to mention those people because I think it's important that those people get credit um, for seeing it first. I was one of the early people to then talk to Sam and then and really highlight the misappropriation and commingling of funds. I think that is what I did do that was valuable. Um, and what it look? What did I what did I see? I saw a guy who one was talking about a billion dollar business and. It was one of those things where it's like, in order to believe what he was saying, you sort of had to believe you didn't know what you were talking about. Because when he's talking about these boxes, it's nonsense, right? It's every red flag you've ever seen. And even the finance journalist, he's like, you know, this sounds like, you know, I'm on the Ponzi business and business is good. Uh, and Sam has no defense for that. So that was th- that was an obvious red flag. But then when Sam was talking, so after FTX collapses and he starts talking about, you know, sort of what happened, Oh, it's an innocent mistake. I was just at FTX. I wasn't ever at Alameda. You know, you start wondering, like, how is it possible this guy owned most of Alameda, didn't know what was happening? Then you start wondering, how is it possible the terms of service say your funds are your funds and we don't touch them, but there wasn't any money left? How is it possible that this, that? And so, um, you know, as sort of the case unfolded, I started realizing what he was doing, which was saying he was making this very specific defense um, where... There were some special terms of service. Sorry, my phone's going off. I'll silence that. Uh, that the special terms of service said that basically they could take margin lending accounts and use it for whatever they wanted. And that was uh, his defense. But I realized, oh, there weren't that many people in the margin lending to make up for the entirety of their customer base. I found that out also. It was corroborated by an anonymous Alameda employee. So I started realizing, oh, this is a defense he's using if I can – isolate that and challenge him on the specifics of the customer funds, I can get him to admit some important stuff. We did. And then later, the funny thing was in court, the their lawyer goes up and he goes, yeah, Sam asked me for a defense. I said, we don't have one. But one you can use was this margin lending defense. He goes, but to be clear, it doesn't work. But here's the defense you could use. And then Sam actually used it and we knew, like, it was funny because we knew it was a lie then, but then it was cool to see it play out in court and, like, see that he had gotten this sort of, like, advice from counsel. And it was really interesting. That was definitely one of those right place, right time kind of things where we were at the, you know, kind of ground zero of one of the biggest financial disasters. I got to ask you, how, does it, how did it feel like being in court at that time when... You know, you'd talk to this guy, you'd, you'd ambushed him twice on Clubhouse, you know, he was squirreling away and just seeing like him implicate himself in all of these interviews and some of those were yours. Like how did it feel to be there at that time watching him go down? It was it was a surreal moment. It was, um, you know, it, it felt really gratifying from the position of I don't enjoy, you know, just seeing people suffer needlessly by any means. But there is this frustration that grows over time where you cover these stories and nothing happens, right? And people get away with it. And the and the uh, the consequences of that is 
more scammers are hurting people. And so really there's a human cost on the other side that's sort of invisible because they don't have a voice. You don't really see them. And so it felt like a real um, satisfying thing in that this guy, at least one guy is sort of actually getting tried. He's getting the chance to make his arguments. He has terrible arguments. So he's going to, you know, he eventually got charged guilty on all counts. Um, and so that was really satisfying. And to know we had a small part of that, and I do think it was small, um, was incredible. I mean, I think, um, you know, that's where I find this work is the most meaningful. And, you know, it's not just in the reporting. It's really seeing things happen after that is actually like uh, what I'm grateful for. So I'm grateful for all the people, all the lawyers who worked on that case to bring him down, all the people who um, contributed, all the other reporters who did really good reporting, um, some before me, and yeah. Okay, one last question. Just a wild guess. How long do you think he'll get in prison? Wild guess, between 20 and 70 years. Okay, okay. I think, basically, I think, like, there's so much public pressure on this case, he can't get less than 20. And then... I think giving him 119 years maximum sentence or whatever doesn't make a ton of sense. I personally, for like white collar crime, it's super under prosecuted. Um, I'm like a fan of more people getting sentenced and not life sentences. Like, you know, you have to just give a consequence to these people's actions. Um, you don't have to throw the book at them forever. Like, uh, but... But um, I'm not going to cry if Sam goes to jail for the rest of his life. But I don't think necessarily that that's going to benefit society more than if he goes to jail for 20 years. I don't, you know, I think it's going to be probably about the same. And um, I'm just for more of those prosecutions happening. And like, I think even if like some of these influencers, right, that did like smaller scams got like one year, right, or even six months, I think the whole landscape of fraud in that space would change. Because it just sends a very public signal like, okay, we just don't tolerate this. Um, yeah. Okay, sorry. I, I oh. just thought of another question as, as you were going. But the, the SEC chair, Gary – what's his name? Gary Gensler or whatever? Gary Gensler. Um, yeah. What, what do you think about his whole role? Do you, do you think it was a bit suspect in the whole thing or do you think that – I SEC have no idea. I, like I, I have no idea. I just don't know enough about that. You've um, obviously covered so many of these of the scammers and, and, and fraudsters and whatnot. Have you been starting to see um, a bit of a pattern among these these people in terms of their psychology, the way they think and the way they operate? Is there any trend at all that you would have uh, picked up on? It's one of those things where you know how you find personality types and it's like, oh, they're so similar, but there's little differences. That's kind of how it is here too, where there definitely are trends, but um, nobody fits the trend exactly. It's kind of one of those things. And w one of those trends is I meant well. I never intended for this to happen. So in all the cases I've done, there's only ever been one guy who was like, yeah, I did it. I did it for self-interested reasons and I'm not gonna give the money back. Like the one guy out of all that, everyone else, it's an innocent mistake. You don't understand. There was context to it. I got in over my skis. I, you know, I wanted to do the right thing. You know, it all started with good intentions. You got to believe me. I'm a good guy. I've got a family. I got this. I got that. Everybody says the same thing, right? So um, that's obviously a trend. It's, it's also a trend like all the most successful scams have a um, – 
semi-plausible reason that these outlandish returns are possible. So it's like, oh, yeah, 20% a year sounds crazy, but I've got this Icelandic Bitcoin farm where I don't have to pay the same price of electricity. Dude, you could see it on the webcam. I got the Bitcoin mining on the webcam. Check it out. So it's like, it's like totally, you've never heard of it. So it's like, it's like unique. It has to be unique and it has to be like semi plausible for it to really take traction. If it's just a copy of what's been done before, you'll make, you know, maybe a couple million dollars, but you won't make all the millions of dollars. Uh, I heard about another one where it's like, there was this guy who was, he was like, okay, I've got all this wine from this very specific, you know, vineyard. And right now, if you give me $500,000, I just don't have the money to cork the wine, but I know I can resell the wine at this price. You know, this guy made, you know, millions of dollars. So uh, it's like, it's like has to be some specific weird thing. There's another guy. He's like, I, you know, I'm going to Bitcoin mine, but I'm going to use the solar tax credit in Nevada because, you know, it's Nevada because it's a very specific land thing. So it's always some twist on the classic play. So it's, so there's a commonality in that uniqueness, I guess, like that is what a lot of the most successful um, ones have in common. A lot of them will also do the whole like, yeah, I'm doing this Ponzi thing, but it's never worked before because they'll have some explanation for why Ponzi's never work. The inflation gets out of control. So I'm using this deflationary burn mechanism within my token in order to like get the inflation down so the buyback's better and I'll put this money back here and I'll send this money over here and we'll all make money. And so you go, well, maybe it's different. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, so... So yeah, does does that help? No, of course it does. And I think that's another problem with crypto, right? Because I think the vast majority of people just don't understand even the basics of it. So you could say anything, and they'll yeah. they'll be like, oh, it "Could be true, I don't know." And it's like, yeah, it leaves a lot of room for for things to go wrong. Um, but I guess I, I, this is another question I, I want to ask you. So say that you somehow tomorrow or next week you are appointed. Um, a position in the US government and your sole purpose was to reduce the amount of scams what would you do what would you do so it could be a law you could pass this is preposterous I'm I'm a okay I do a very specific thing okay wait 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 wait. I do a very specific thing I investigate fraud people will come to me sometimes and go Stephen if you could invest in any cryptocurrency I'm like you should not be listening to me for investment advice. That's not what I do. I'm not an investment, you know, I, I find scams. So it's interesting. You're like, if you're a government employee, how would you figure that? I don't know. That's in a government wait, thing. Wait, wait, you know, wait, wait, wait. Let me there rephrase. Was, so so you could, it could just be an advisory role. You're like, look out for this, like, or a public policy statement or. No, I'm, I'm just commenting on the hilarity because this has happened to me before. A, okay. I'll anonymize it. Uh, a senator's aide reached out to me, like legitimately, they're like, what do we do with crypto? How do we, re-? like they literally asked me this question. And I was thinking to myself, isn't that your job? Why are you asking me? What are you talking about? Why are you outsourcing your job to me? I don't know. That's what you think about all day. Why are you asking me? I'm a YouTuber. What is, this is nonsense. Um, so no, I, I, I have no idea how to do it because because every law like that's the challenge of laws is they have like this like go they kick back the other direction so it's like the permissionless thing 
You know, it's great for individual citizens, but like the kickback of that is it's great for criminals. If you crack down too much on criminals, the kickback of that is like it's oppressive to citizens. So, you know, I could give like broad sweeping, you know, hey, maybe this would help uh, crack down on the scams, but it's ultimately like, okay, well, then it's going to, you know, hurt other normal people in a different way. So uh, I don't want to give advice on that. I do think it's funny because it's not the first time that's happened. And um, it's it's every time I get it, I'm like, what is going on? Interesting. No very, very interesting. Um, well, you should take it as a compliment if they're asking you. Uh, another question. So, No, I take it as a bad sign. I, like genuinely, it is a bad sign if a government is asking you, a YouTuber, you know, what to do. Uh, not good. Not very bad, actually. Bad sign for the society, yeah. but perhaps... It, it's like just for you. It's good. Just for you. <laughs> All right. Another question. Do you think that fraud generally is at an all-time high? And if so, why do you think that is? It's tempting to say yes. I, I, I don't know. It's like sort of like sometimes time feels that way. Like, is society worse than it's ever been? People will say yes. Is society better than it's ever been? People will say yes. Like, I don't know. It's like always it, the present feels, you know, obviously more immediate. Um, in recent as long as I have been alive and noticing this stuff, it seems like 2021 and 20 was a height, a peak. And I think we're going to get to another peak here pretty soon um, with the rise of AI. I think that will be the proliferation of scams is going to shoot through the roof because the cost of scamming is going to go to zero. So traditionally, and and the risk. So I don't think most people, I mean, I think most people realize AI has some serious scam risks, but I don't think they realize how much better it makes a criminal's life. I'll tell you why. You know, one of the cases, um, a lot of the cases I work on, people get caught because they work with a buddy and they the buddy tells on them right like the buddy basically rats them out or the buddy's not happy and they do this or you know something happens and you have to rely on other people in crime and the problem is when you rely on other people in crime you're usually working with criminals who are not known to be the most honorable so you know you have these risks if i'm some call center scammer you know i have to hire thousands of people, maybe hundreds, maybe even tens of people who are going to be on the phone all day for me. I have to pay those people. I have to trust those people. I have to. Now I can train this little AI bot to make tens of thousands of calls at almost no cost to me. They run the scam for me. And then, so not only has my cost gone down to zero, my risk has decreased as well because I don't have to trust anybody to get my back. And there's no paper. Like who's, who's going to tell on me? Right. I've just got this little model running. And there's also some, you know, so I was going to say there's also some um, liability <laughs> issues. It's like who's liable when the AI stole your money? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like kind of hard to uh, figure that out. And then you psych and then you add crypto to the mix, crypto to the mix where it's like you can just um, wash launder your money uh, really easily. Uh, I think the people who are making millions and tens of millions of dollars at almost no risk to themselves is going to go through the roof. I think that's very sad, but I do think it's going to happen. All right. So one last question. Um, I think it'll be, I guess, important to some people watching. Um, a lot of people kind of fall prey to pyramid schemes and, and scams a lot. But if there was three telltale signs that you could tell anyone 
that something is a little bit dodgy, what would they be? An investment is a little bit dodgy. Yeah. I hate sort of like list answers because implicit in the list is like, you only need to worry about three things or these three things are equally important or, you know, something like that. Um, the over the overarching thing that will always keep you safe is like, look, if it sounds too good to be true, it always is. It's trite because it's like, okay, what is that? And, and it's kind of generic, but in that way, it's beautiful because it fits a wide number of topics. And so if you think you found some amazing opportunity, red flag. I mean, on, honestly, if you think like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make millions of dollars with this. Red flag. Not a lot of people make a million dollars in a year. So either you're super, uh, and, and if you're not like, let's say you're like a doctor or something and you, some, some hospital hires you. Okay. You have the skill set and you have the talent and you have the accreditation that kind of makes sense and aligns this opportunity with your skill set. But if you have an opportunity that's like, doesn't make sense because you're just an average person and, uh, and, or you're just like last year you made 40,000 and this year you think you're going to make a million dollars. Red flag. I mean, it doesn't normally happen. There's a very high chance you're getting scammed in some way, and you're the sucker at the t at the table. Uh, so, I think that ad advice apply applies really well. I also think, you know, people are um, quick to sort of overestimate their own ability to like fully research a topic. I think you rightly pointed out, you know, in the crypto world, not a lot of people actually know what's going on. Despite that, there's a lot of people who think they know what's going on. Um, so people tend to just overestimate their ability to quickly assess new technologies and the incentive mechanisms of all of it and their risks associated with all of it. So I think you can stay pretty safe investing in things that like investment vehicles that have been around for a long time. Um, so for example, you know, there are real opportunities in like stock market investing, real estate investing, um, you know, things like that, uh, valuable companies. I think, I think there is like this attraction for some reason to new shiny objects, which kind of goes into like too good to be true thing, but like in general, just even just new and shiny, like, so people will invest in like pink sheet stocks on the stock, like, like which basically penny stocks essentially. Um, because it's like, oh, it, this has the opportunity to blow up and it does blow up, but just not in the way you thought right? It goes to zero. Instead of investing in like some old company that's pr a proven track record of value, that has a proven track record of we're just going to keep doing the right thing and keep like kind of like uh, slowly growing. People don't find that exciting. They don't find it sexy, but really, I mean, they should. I've heard, I, I heard a saying also that it's like, you know, at some point you need to decide, are you an um, investor or a gambler? And I think that applies to like all like not getting scammed. You know, if you're taking a flyer on some random thing you heard about yesterday from an advertisement, like chances are you're a gambler. You're not you're not actually investing. Um, also, in that, if they're advertising to you, red flag actually, like uh, because if like if they have the extra money to advertise and pull you in, you have to ask like, why are they so excited to get me? Like, right? Nobody's ever going to advertise like this. 0.001% Vanguard fund because honestly, they don't make that much money from it. They're like, it's never going to be advertised to you.
What is going to be advertised to you is some guy's newsletter that you're going to pay $2,000 for. He's going to give you a bunch of specific, like, tiny stocks that he's going to front run, and you're going to get screwed. Why? Why is he going to advertise? Because he's got money to advertise. Why has he got money to advertise? Because he's, ta- he's taking the lion's share of the profits. So anyway, um, I don't know. Does that help? That's not three. I think I gave you two. And I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I think that, I think that should be fine. <laughs> that should be fine. That, that's great. I refuse and, and- to answer your... I've, been a terrible guest i've been really um what else do you guys have um that, that's about that be that's about it but i was just going to add a commentary as well like uh on, on people and investing i think we might even see a bit more of it as you know the big r word comes around potentially like next year as in a, a recession so when people get more economically desperate they kind of you know um, tend to to just jump to things that don't make sense, but they, they just really feel it in their soul because this could be their ticket out, you know? So I just yeah, thought that was a point. I, I, I do think that's a lot of it too. I mean, I, I try to highlight in my show, you know, uh, people jump to the greed argument with like why people got scammed. And sometimes there is that. I, I think a lot of times there is portions of that, but I think desperation actually overrides a lot of that. People invest in these things because they're looking for a way out and it's easy to sit. I mean, you usually can tell how somebody's doing financially when they can't understand how anyone ever fell for a scam because it's usually like like they're a bit out of touch to how hard life is and like how, how things seem so bad. Um, because even if you're like a smart guy, but you're struggling, you can understand why people fall for this stuff. Like you can't because you will be tempted too. because you'll be thinking like as much as you know, it's a scam that like, oh, you're going to make all this money, blah, blah, blah. It's tempting because you're like, damn, that'd be really nice. Whereas if you're financially set and you have the luxury to not worry about that kind of stuff, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I saw that from a mile away. Like, of course, that's a scam and I'm not, I'm not tempted at all because I'm already fine. Why would I risk what I already, you know, what I already possess? But when you have nothing to lose, it's sort of, you know, um, it's much more appealing. And then you have, sorry, the third category where you just scam, scam kids like Logan Paul. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> your yeah. audience just can't even tell. So, yeah, it's, that was a wild one well, as that's well. Make, whole- that's making money. I mean, that's just for making money. Like, yeah, you just want to make money. Um, so I think that that's he still hasn't paid anyone, by the way. <laughs> just thought I'd mention that. Did Which anyone know that? Right? He, he promised. He promised, didn't he? Um, he, he apologized. Swore, dude. He apologized to me. He said, "I'm sorry, coffee's a, a pay of people back. Not a dime, dude. Not a dime. Oh my gosh. He hasn't even talked in the Discord. It's like it's unbelievable the levels of. I don't care. I will just ignore these people. And then not only that, almost nobody asks them about it. I can't believe it. People get him on his sh- their show. They don't say a word. I'm like, how much did he pay you? How much of that crypto zoo money did you get to not say anything? It's the most interesting question. It's like, oh yeah, where's that money, dude? But these people get on the, the show. They don't say a word. I'm like, are you scared? He's going to like suplex you on the table. What's going on? <laughs> how much zoo do you have? Like, why, why are you covering for this man? They sent you some prime bottles. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so true. Oh man. Um, I, th- I think that's all the questions we yeah. had, had well, man. That, thanks, Stephen. Those that, uh, was, those very entertaining. Those very you, very cool. Yeah, like uh, I think your your rants are you just you just do a whole show of rants. Yeah, I think they're I think great. Think <laughs> you'll do great. Thanks, guys. I appreciate. It. Look, I I'm a fan of Cold Fusion. I'm one of y'all's um, 
uh, I don't know if OG, but like, you know, I, I don't remember exactly when I caught him, but I was like, dude, this guy's killing it. Um, I think maybe Theranos was one of the early ones that I watched. And that's when I clocked y'all as like a really interesting kind of y'all, y'all cover some fraud stuff and business stuff. So um, I'm excited with what you guys are doing. And in a way, you guys are doing the whole video essay thing on non-film topics and like kind of bringing it full circle. I think you guys are nailing that. Um, so congratulations to you guys and all your success. Likewise, absolutely. Same, yeah, Steven. 100%. Thank you so much for, yeah, for tuning in. Really appreciate um, it.